the better a day that I have, the more positive that I am, the better my knee feels. If I wake up and I don't feel good that day, my knee automatically doesn't feel good. But if I go through my day and I'm like, the sun is shining, I go through my morning routine, I make my smoothie, go to the gym, my knee tends to feel good. And so I think that's just been a big piece of it is I can't change my circumstance. I can't make it heal any faster than it's healing. I can give it every opportunity to do so, so I can feed my body the right stuff. I can make sure I'm icing and I can make sure that if there's something that really hurts, I don't push it too far. But this is where we are. So every day, the best advice I got from one of the son's coaches was every day is your game day. So every day is a game day. From Women's Health Australia, this is Uninterrupted, a podcast to help you live a healthier, more empowered life. And this month, we're celebrating the FIBA Women's Basketball World Cup coming to Sydney by highlighting a different player each week in September. I'm Editor-in-Chief Lisa Gebilagen. At the age of 16, Canadian Kia Nurse was already playing basketball for the national team. By 20, she made her Olympic debut at Rio and became a global role model for women in the sport. But while her long-standing career has been one of accolades and triumph, it's also seen Kia navigate a number of setbacks, including an ACL tear that saw her sidelined for much of 2021 season. Never one to give up though, Kia turned adversity into an opportunity for growth. In this episode, the basketball star chats with our digital writer, Jess Campbell, on how her mental resolve helped her overcome injury, how she navigates the mental challenges of elite sport, and why she always makes time for family. You've got this family of incredible athletes. And so I'm curious, you know, like, what was it like growing up in that kind of household that seems to have really championed sport and also the opportunities it can bring. Yeah, it was really actually one of the most fun moments, I think, of just growing up was the competitive nature that exists within our family. And for me, my sister is nine years older than me and my brother's only a year older than me. And so I grew up watching my sister play basketball and wanting to be very much like her. Um, And my brother and I used to run around the gym all the time during practice, trying to entertain ourselves. And so it started to kind of flourish into, if we didn't want to clean the dishes, we'd go outside and we'd play a shooting game on the hoop that we had there. And then whoever lost had to do the dishes. So everything became a competition, but in the most fun way possible. And so I think the cool thing for me is being the youngest of everyone in my family. Everybody before me has done a lot of incredible things within sport. And so there isn't a piece of adversity or a challenge that I've come across that they haven't seen before. And so it's always easy to pick up the phone and call one of them and say, what did you do in this situation? What do you think of my response and and how I should probably handle what's going on right now? And so that's been really helpful growing up. And it's made me the competitor that I am today. And I don't think without my competitive nature that I would be where I am. Do you still sort of have that relationship with your siblings and your parents now where like, you know, they're just a phone call away in terms of advice and all of that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, for my brother who is currently in the NHL playing with the Edmonton Oilers. So he's still in that professional life as well with me. And so we have these really good conversations about kind of what they're going through and and what he goes through in his league, um, what I go through in my league. And, you know, just recently coming off of an ACL injury, this is the first kind of major surgery that I've ever had. The first injury that's kept me out longer than, you know, two months. And just being able to have my family in my corner and have them as, you know, there's days when there's hard and when it's really hard. And there's days when, you know, I want to feel like I want to quit. And then there's other days where I have 
really great days. And I love kind of having a conversation with my family, like, look what I did today. Like, this is brand new for me, but it's something that's helping me move forward. So it's great to have them help me through progress and also help me through adversity. And, you know, growing up, were you someone who sort of tried your hand at a number of sports or were you always super focused on basketball? No, I was everywhere, (laughs) anywhere that I could be, any sport that I could play. You know, I really enjoyed doing that. So I started basketball when I was four, soccer when I was three. And then I kind of moved as, you know, we went through elementary school, you know, middle school. It was a lot of uh, track and field, cross country I really liked. There was at one point uh, mixed flag football that we could play. I tried hockey, but, you know, I was a Canadian girl, so I had to try it. But I wasn't a fan of like the stick in the puck, just like to skate a little bit. So yeah, I I did pretty much everything that I could possibly do. A lot of it, I think, comes from the fact that I wanted to win literally anything and everything. But I think it's really my whole life, I did basketball and soccer. So soccer was my summer sport and basketball was my winter sport. And I think it was the best because I had my soccer friends, my basketball friends, and a little bit of parity between the two. So I still fell in love with sport while focusing on them as well. So then when was the sort of turning point where you then made the decision that you would focus on basketball? Yeah, so the big turning point was in summer of eighth grade going into ninth grade. So just when I was making my transition into high school, the big question then became, I started to make uh, the Ontario, so our provincial teams essentially, um, which would be, I believe, states teams for you. And being able to play on those teams meant you had to play in the summertime. And so I ended up having to make the decision on whether I played basketball or played soccer, because now all of a sudden my schedule started to cross. And so for me, a lot of it was, I love soccer with all my heart. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was always a fantastic workout, but I did think that basketball was where I wanted to keep pursuing. And I thought maybe I could go to the States and play in the NCAA and follow in my sister's footsteps in that sense. So it was a tough decision to make. I did miss all of my soccer friends, but you know, it worked out for the best, I guess. I'm curious as well, you know, like given that your parents also come from a sporting background, what sort of lessons did they impart on you around sport and also just some idea of like what were the conversations you were having with parents or like were they allowing you to sort of make those choices yourself or did you turn to them for guidance? Yeah, a little bit of both, I would say. I think because I knew they had a background in sport themselves and My mother played basketball at the collegiate level and my father played football at the professional level. And so understanding that they've both had their own kind of paths and roads to where they got, I knew that they had that experience of the player side of it. At the same time, I think my siblings would agree, but the reason our family is where it is today is because of who our parents were and what they allowed us to do as kids. A lot of times it was, you know, try soccer, try volleyball, try basketball, whatever you like. That's what, if you want to, you know, pursue it of course, we'll help you pursue it. And, you know, we weren't the richest family in the world, but my parents found a way every single time, every single year to give us opportunities to play, you know, rep basketball, to play rep hockey, which is extremely expensive, but be able to have the opportunities to do that. And so I think one of the big conversations that I've always had with them is basketball didn't come first for me. Family came first, school came second, and basketball was third. So they always made it sure that we understood that sport was a privilege. It was something that we had the opportunity to do. But if we weren't getting good grades in school, then we couldn't go to practice. And then you really couldn't play in a game. And what's the point of, you know, not doing well to not be able to do that? And then anything that involves our family, which is still how, you know, I live and how my siblings and I live today is if there's something going on with our family, but we have a game that night, and family takes precedent, right? They're more important in that sense. And so, you know, I think another big 
conversation I had with my mom at one point was I felt like basketball was becoming a job. And I had said to her that it's difficult and I want to go and, you know, hang out with my friends who go to birthday parties in the summer, go visit cottages and, you know, be able to do all the things my other friends were doing and posting about on social media. But I was in the gym practicing instead. And she said, look, you can quit if you want. And I looked at her and I was like, no, I can't do that. She's like, you can. You have to finish out this season because you've committed to your teammates and to your coaches that you're going to play. So you finish the season. When that's done, then you don't have to play ever again. And I looked at her like she was crazy. But, <laughs> you know, that, that's how my family was. It was very much you've committed to something. So you have to hold yourself accountable to that. And then I think my dad was my coach my entire life. So he was a little bit different. My parents are, they're kind of polar opposites, but at the same time, they're like the exact same person when it comes to motivation. And so uh, my dad always told me, there's always going to be somebody that's bigger, faster, and stronger than you. In basketball and in life, if you're in an office, someone's going to be better than you. If you can get yourself up to the top, you're going to be the one that's chased. Never let yourself get caught. And so that's kind of how I've lived through everything that I do, everything I do, I want to be the best possible person that I can be for. Um, you know, whether that's me being an auntie to my nephews, whether that's me being somebody in business, uh, my AAU program or a basketball player. And so I think that's something that's really driven me from them. Yeah. It's amazing just sort of listening to you talk about that, even though it's sort of within this sporting context, so much of that advice and so much of that guidance applies to life in general. I want to talk now about sort of like your early career and that moment back in 2018 where you selected, was it 10th overall in the draft by New York Liberty? For an athlete, that's essentially these dreams of becoming a professional, turning into a reality. What, what do you remember of that day and that moment, you know, getting, getting that call, or hearing the news and what did it mean for you? First, it was a bit of a a journey to get there um, in the first place. There was a moment when I wasn't sure if I was going to be invited to the draft venue and to like kind of the actual draft as it occurred, or if I was just going to be kind of at home with my family waiting to see if I did indeed get drafted. And it was about a week before that I got the call from my agent and they had said, you're going to the draft, like they want to invite you to go. And I said, okay, so now I have to buy a dress and shoes, figure out my hair, my makeup. I got real stressed real quick about all of that because I had seven days to do it. But it was, you know, a really surreal experience to share with my family members. And for me, every time that I have an experience like a draft or an experience like my parents coming out to see me play in a game, it always makes me feel like this is the biggest way that I can say thank you for everything that you've done, all the sacrifices you've made as parents to get me to this place where I get to live out my dreams. So I think that's really fun for me to be a part of. Um, It was interesting because at our draft table, there was only four seats and I have two siblings. So I was not going to choose which one (laughs) I was going to let sit with me at the table. Um, So they both were kind of off to the side where I could see them and my brother was drafted seventh overall in the NHL draft two years earlier. So every time we would get closer to seven, I could see him looking like, you're almost there. And I got past seven. He's like, beat ya. So just another example of how we continue to be as uh, competitive as possible. But the moment that my name was called, I just remember uh, my hands were shaking. My legs were shaking, getting up and hugging my parents. I said, thank you to them. And then I got to the stage I didn't want to fall. I had some really nice Louboutin shoes, but they were too high for me. And just the moment of kind of like a big sigh of relief, like you've done it. 
your name is called. You've given yourselves an, yourself an opportunity here. And now you're going to go into training camp and you're going to try and take a job. And so, yeah, it was just such a, an amazing experience to share, especially with my family members who've been there the whole step of the way. And leading up to the draft and sort of, you know, within your playing career, were there any barriers you sort of encountered or felt you had to overcome? Yeah, I think the biggest barrier for me would have been confidence and just really believing in my own abilities within myself um, and what I can do. I mean, I, I think growing up as a female athlete at the time, there wasn't a ton of, you know, women's basketball on television that you could see. And so the conversation always kind of turned to, yeah, you're going to be able to play basketball, but what, what's your other job going to be? What else are you going to do? Because you're not going to be able to, you know, live or sustain yourself off of just a WNBA career. And so... You know, I think growing up, it was always, I've put so much time and so much effort into what I'm doing now. Who am I outside of basketball? And sometimes it's it's tough to differentiate, you know, Kia as the basketball player versus Kia the person. Because at, you know, age 15, I ended up, or 16, sorry, I ended up with the national team on the Olympic side. And so I became a little bit more of a role model for younger women as well when we won a gold medal on Canadian soil. And so that was a lot of pressure to feel from a young age. And so I think I just started to battle a little bit of confidence issues. And do I deserve to be here? Am I good enough to play at UConn, a dynasty in college? Am I good enough to make the WNBA, to stay in the WNBA? Just little pieces of confidence there. And I think as I've continued to grow and, and get older, I start to look at some of the accomplishments that I've been able to achieve. And I think to myself, you know, these are really cool. And you're only 26. You have upside that's going to continue to grow. I don't even, I don't feel like I've hit my peak yet as a player. And sometimes I think, you know, as women, we don't always give ourselves enough credit for what we've been able to do. And so, you know, I think one of the things I've learned was to just write it down, kind of see it all on paper in front of you and take in what you've actually been able to do, take in the obstacles you've been able to get over and the challenges you've been able to face to find yourself with success, whether it's big success or even little success. I've been to Olympics. I haven't won a medal. So that's success in itself, but there's other goals to get to as well. And so I think that's, that was the biggest battle for me was confidence. And still to this day, I'm like, you're really good. Sometimes you got to sit there and remind yourself in the mirror, like you're good at what you do. I know we sort of mentioned earlier about your time down under, but yeah, you know, like you, even though you play for Team Canada, you have this huge fan base of just adoring Aussie fans from your time with the UC Capitals. What do you remember of your time playing in Australia? I adore every single moment that I had in Australia, so much that I came back for my second year. UC Capitals was such an incredible experience for me, and it was my first year overseas. My main you know, piece of information that I told my agent when we were talking about going overseas was I wanted to be in a place where I was comfortable. I wanted to be in a place where I'd be really happy. And so we thought Australia was a really good landing place just because there's so many similarities between Australia and Canada that I was just easily going to be kind of comfortable in that sense and culturally as well. And, you know, for me, I think a lot of it was coming into an incredible program and organization. I mean, Paul Gorse as the coach, uh, I see him now because he coaches for Atlanta, but such an incredible coach to be around, someone who's willing to help me grow as a person and as a player as well. And then my teammates were incredible. I think the one thing that everybody told me for people who had already been to Australia was like, where are you going? And I was like, Canberra. And they're like, oh, there's no beach. And I was like, oh, okay. It wasn't the first place people said like, oh, okay. And I was like, Honestly, we're going to see how it goes. And I think 
the best part about it for me was my teammates. Like they were so much fun and we just enjoyed basketball, but we enjoyed each other as well. And so no matter where we were, we found something to do. We enjoyed it. Um, we made great memories, you know, winning championships definitely helps with really good memories, but the caps, the fan base in Canberra is incredible. Like they show up to every game. They're loud. They're exciting. You see them in the malls, you know, you walk around you get to hang out. But I think that was the best part about it was just being able to be immersed in the culture around some absolutely incredible people um, won some championships. And, you know, you made your Olympic debut at 20. I sort of am curious, you know, how did Tokyo compare to Rio? You know, like, did you feel that there was more pressure on you going into a second Olympics? And is it the sense where you can sort of, where the expectations are higher and you can perceive that as a player? Yeah, there's definitely higher expectations on Tokyo than there was on Rio. You know, I think for us in Canada basketball, the year prior to me entering that senior level, um, the team had just come off of a 2012 Olympic finish in London. And so when we had moved to Rio, there was a lot of excitement around our team. So for a long time in Canada, there was a lot of conversations around the men's national team and which NBA players were going to be able to play and how exciting and how good they would be if they would all just come together for those tournaments in the summer. But there had never been a time when all those NBA players had been able to come together. And for a number of different reasons, no one really knew anything about the women's team. But we were really good. And at one point, we were fourth in the world. And it took a long time for people to realize, like, huh, they're fourth, guys. Like, that's pretty solid. So I think going into Rio, we played two games on or two tournaments on home soil. We played the Pan Am Games in 2015 in Toronto, where we beat the U.S. and won gold. And then we played that same year, three months later, in Edmonton to qualify for Rio. So all of a sudden, everybody knew who we were and everyone was having conversations about what we were doing. And I think that was really exciting for our country, but it was still learning a little bit about us, still getting to know us more. So when we came to Tokyo, um, everybody was like, this is Canada basketball's time on the women's side to get on the podium. And we all felt that as well as a team. And so we made it very clear that that was our goal and that's what we wanted to do. And so I think the pressure to get on the podium was definitely higher in the Tokyo games. I think you know, add on top of that, the fact that the games got postponed an entire year, you know, throw COVID in there where there's days when you can't train and we couldn't get together as a team because we had players overseas and we couldn't deal with quarantines. And so there's just so many different aspects that went into Tokyo. So it, you know, finishing the games was rewarding in the sense that we made it. We made it through all that there was to make it through to get to have that opportunity. At the same time, it was a disappointing finish for us. And so as a player, as a player who's you know, name is tends tend to be put out there when you talk about Canada basketball. There definitely was a lot more pressure. And I think I put more pressure on myself than anybody on the outside ever possibly could. And I think I did do that to myself as well while I was out there. So that was a little bit difficult and a little bit tougher because you're isolated from everyone because our families couldn't come, you know, so that was definitely a difference maker as well. Were there even fans in the audience there or was it pretty, pretty empty? It, it was different. I think for, for me personally, and coming from the WNBA bubble, we had no fans in there either. So I had a little bit of experience dealing with that. But we didn't play in stadiums. We played in a gym that was kind of created for us, knowing that there was going to be no fans. So it was a smaller arena and the, black, the sides were all kind of blacked out. So it, wasn't, it didn't feel as large. In Tokyo, you were in an entire arena with maybe four or five people kind of sputtered out in the crowd there and so there wasn't anybody at our games and that was different to create your own energy um you know when you, your team goes on a run one of the things if you have at a home game one of the things you feed off of is the crowd 
because they get going and you get going and your adrenaline goes. We had to make all of that energy ourselves. And so that was a different experience for sure, especially at the Olympic Games. And just knowing that basketball is such a popular sport in Tokyo, that it would have been really incredible to have all of those people around. But, you know, we made the best of, of our situation and what we needed to do. And so I think as a team, we were really good at creating energy and bringing it for one another. But it was definitely different than what typically you would see. In these sort of situations, you know, with the Olympics and obviously the upcoming World Cup, when so many of the players, I'm assuming, sort of play for different teams and are based all around the world, how do you collectively come together and, you know, like how quickly do you build teamwork and that sense of camaraderie together? Yeah, it's interesting for sure. It's a, a difficult thing to kind of get going. Like I mentioned before, during COVID, most of our players were actually still overseas. And so we had people scattered all over Europe. And in order for us to have a training camp, which we were supposed to have in Canada at one point, we would have to bring all of our players back in. All of the players that came from overseas would do 14-day quarantines, and then we would be able to kind of practice. But they only had seven days off. And so we didn't have the opportunity to even get that done before the Olympics and have that kind of practice time. So we really used the month. We had a month or so before the Olympics to kind of get together. For Canada basketball, one of the things we do is we have like a pretty close-knit pool of athletes that come in and kind of work together for, you know, four to eight years. And so I've played with a number of the players that we have on our team now, and we've all kind of had the opportunity to play different tournaments, whether it be world championships or qualifiers together. And so when we come back in, there's a lot of us who have been around for five, six, seven years. And so we kind of understand each other in that sense. But it is always, you know, getting back into the swing of things, getting back into the swing of tendencies. So a lot of basketball is just finding the right fit. And for somebody like me, I know what I'm good at, but I also as a teammate need to know what you're good at. And, you know, the other three players on the floor, what they're good at as well, so that we can all kind of come to co cohesively together to make a good unit. At the same time, we're all growing. So every time we go overseas, every single one of us is getting better. And so there's new things that we're adding to our games that then we have to come back together and understand as well. So it's difficult. I think the best part about it is the fact that we keep together in contact on, you know, WhatsApp group chats when we can. During the COVID years, we did a lot of Zoom calls. We had Zoom calls and then kind of breakout rooms, kind of get to see each other and converse in that sense as well. And then just having the opportunity to go overseas and get better each and every day. Every time that we get better for those teams that we're playing for overseas or in the WNBA, we're getting better to come back together in Canada. So then collectively, we're kind of raising our bar. And so this year's a little bit different. We have a brand new head coach. So for the World Cup, I have not played for him yet just because I've been recovering on my ACL, but most of the girls have played for him for one tournament. So we're continuing to, to get to know his systems as well. Um, so, Kia, I want to ask about the ACL injury. So obviously that was the 2021 season. You know, I, I know with elite sport, they often say injury comes with the territory, but I can't imagine it's ever an easy thing to go through as an athlete, particularly when you know, so much of your identity is tied to sport. Talk me through like what what is this rehab process been like for you, sort of both physically and mentally as well? It's a journey. So this is the first major surgery that I've ever had. It's the first major injury that I've ever had. Yep. So, you know, typically when we talk about elite athletes, if you told me, you know, I'm gonna get injured, my mind's gonna go to like, I'm gonna roll my ankle, I'm gonna <laughs> probably jam a finger or two, you know, just the typical stuff that comes with being a basketball player. But ACL was one of the things that 
is very common in our sport, but something that I never thought was ever going to happen to me. I've had pretty solid knees, so I've never had any issues with my knees. So this was kind of new and it was just a, a typical movement that I've done probably a thousand times the year before that just, it just gave way on this one. So, you know, initially when I got off the court and into the x-ray room and into the doctor's office with the surgeons, you know, they looked at my knee, they moved it around a couple of times and then they just looked at me and I wouldn't, I refused to look them in the eye. Like, I was like, I'm not going to, I just don't want them to tell me what's wrong. So they, they had said, you know, it's probably an ACL. We're going to go get an MRI tomorrow to check it out and uh, confirm that. And I just shook my head and said, yeah, okay. And then, you know, I, I think I kind of just went through the motions for the rest of the night. Um, my team was still on the court because it happened 40 seconds into the game. So they were finishing a game. So I went to the locker room, put some ice on, went back out to the court and watched the game. And I think that night I came back to this apartment and I was kind of just like, I guess I'm processing now. I guess this happened. I guess it's really like it is what it is and I can't tape it up and go back out there in the way that I want to for the rest of the semifinals and then the finals. And so, you know, I'm eight months out now, which means every single day I wake up and I say I'm closer to being back on the court than I was when it first happened. And for me, it's been the smoothest possible journey you could ask for, which I've been very grateful for. You know, I probably had five to seven bad days in eight months that I'm like, I'm done with this and I hate it and I don't want to do it anymore. And every other day I wake up and I'm like, let's get to work and let's see what we can do today. Let's see what's new. Let's see how we feel. And so it's been tough just not being able to be on the court. I think it made a difference for me being hurt for most of the off season. So I didn't have to watch my teammates play because it's, it's harder now that we're in season and I'm watching them and I'm thinking to myself, like, I should be out there. I could be out there. This is what I typically would be doing had I not been in this situation. So that's always the tough part. Is it hard to sort of be watching from the sidelines and even just being in the locker room and all that thing when you know that you sort of can't be out there? Yeah, I think for me, I just want to be out there and and helping in any way possible. So I try to use my voice as much as possible. The, The tough one really was when I went down, it was game four of the semifinals. We won game five and then we played in the finals. And so I had to watch the entire finals from the sideline. And for me, like that's like that's where you want to get, like you want to win a WNBA championship. That's why you play. And so to not even have the opportunity to be out there and and help my teammates, that was the hardest part. So I was like, I'm going to use my voice. I'm going to tell them what I can see from the sideline. And then hopefully, you know, that makes a difference or that makes something easier on them. But at the same time, they have so much going on out there on the court that I just wanted to be like, I'll just come out there and like, just make that pass. And I'm like, I'll come out there and set that screen. That's really been the most difficult part is just I do, I practice all the time. Like I'm individual practicing. I don't do any contact stuff yet, but we're close to a return. And so now that I'm out there and I'm shooting again and I'm coming off screens and whatnot, I'm thinking to myself, like, I feel really good. So just put me in. But the doctors are like, you have to wait. I'm like, okay, fine. (laughs) And, you know, you said that you've only had sort of like five to seven bad days throughout the whole um, sort of journey of this. What do you think has been the reason that it's been such a positive smooth sailing it sounds like experience well I've done the best that I can to try and take care of my body and so you know I think the older that you get and I hope now that younger athletes are seeing this the more you take care of your body from a younger age the better it is and so your body as a professional athlete is your number one tool it's your number one asset 
And so it's going to take money. It's going to take effort. It's going to take sacrifice to make sure that you're in the best possible form that you can be. For me, I found that I was really good with my diet to start off with coming out of the surgery um, because I wanted to make sure that I kept as much inflammation out as I could and got my knee back down to, you know, it's typical size. I've done a really good job of just staying on top of icing. And then I think one of the things I'm starting to see a little bit more is the better a day that I have, the more positive that I am, the better my knee feels. If I wake up and I don't feel good that day, my knee automatically doesn't feel good. But if I go through my day and I'm like, the sun is shining, I go through my morning routine, I make my smoothie, go to the gym, my knee tends to feel good. And so I think that's just been a big piece of it is I can't change my circumstance. I can't make it heal any faster than it's healing. I can give it every opportunity to do so, so I can feed my body the right stuff. I can make sure I'm icing and I can make sure that if there's something that really hurts, I don't push it too far, but this is where we are. So every day, the best advice I got from one of the son's coaches was every day is your game day. So every day is a game day. I love that. So what does a sort of typical um, week of training look like for you now? This morning, I went into the gym at, well, today I got to sleep in 10.30. But usually I'm in there about 8.30. I do my rehab from 8.30 to 10. My team starts practice at 10 typically or film at 10. So I'll watch film with them and do the warm-up and practice. Because of where I am in my rehab, I can usually do the first one or two drills with them. So I will do that. And then... I kind of step to the side as they start to do more contact stuff. I do my running. So usually I do about 10 up and backs as fast as I can in every 30 seconds. And then once their practice is completed and my running is done, I get onto the court and I'll do an individual workout with one of the coaches. So another 20 to 30 minutes of just on-court skill work. And then my day is pretty much done from that point on unless I do a Peloton or a, a yoga session at night just to, to get my stretching. And then I walk my dog. My dog gets like three walks a day. So it's most of my day. <laughs> so cute. How has it been being um, yeah, a, a new dog mom? Dog mom is hard. I don't know what I was reading online, but it is harder than what they put online. <laughs> She's so good though. You really got to do more on the socials of the dog. It's so cute. <laughs> I know. Okay, just quickly, I wanted to ask, on a game day, do you have any sort of routines or rituals that you live by? Um, Not really. I used to, I just like naps. Like, if I can get 30 to 45 minutes of a nap in after shoot around prior to getting ready to go to the game, that's usually like my only ritual. And I've, I try to change it up with my hair, but... It always ends up in a bun. So I feel like a bun is like my thing. Sort of like you wearing a bun and you know that you're going to be playing good. Yeah, it's more like everything else. Like my ponytail, I have like I have a lot of hair. So my ponytail just makes me hot. So like the bun is what keeps me the coolest. Yeah, see, I mean, if it works, don't don't change it. Exactly. I also wanted to ask about, you know, you're part of this all-female bro- broadcast which is pretty incredible. And, you know, going back to what you said earlier, growing up and not really seeing women in the sport on TV or, or even just like women's sport getting the sort of attention it deserves. Can you talk to me a little bit about that experience? And also, what do you sort of want to see for the future of basketball and women's sport in general? 
Well, I obviously want to see continued using our platforms as organizations, even the organization that I work with in terms of broadcasting. And so TSN in Canada, continuing to create more coverage for the women's game, because there are so many stories that can be told from a different points of view for every single player that's, you know, in our league, in any league across the world, really. And so I think that's probably the biggest thing is making sure that young women have the opportunity to see what they can be on television. And so going home and seeing WNBA games on television is always really fun for me. You know, my grandparents love watching it anyway, so they love when our games are on TV. You know, being able to, for me, being a part of the women's all-women's broadcast, being in a space that's typically dominated by men and doing our jobs and doing our jobs really well, I hope that there was a young woman watching that and saying, I can go down and break down an NBA game if I really wanted to and be on TV doing it and know my stuff and be knowledgeable about it. And so... You know, I think that's really exciting for me to be able to see that the game is starting to trend in that direction and that there is more notability, you know, in in Canada as well. For TSN this year with March Madness, we did our first ever women's control show. So that means we came on pregame and we came on at halftime. We came on after the game and we explained to our audience what was occurring on the women's side with the NCAA tournament. And so we were watching games that had Canadians in it. We had Canadians win national championships this year as well. And so being able to introduce our audience to some homegrown talent and some of the women who are making incredible waves on the NCAA side, that was really exciting too. And I think as we continue to promote women's sports, as we continue to, you know, make it as important and as, as much of a priority as it is, then we're going to continue to see the, the rise in the young women who are picking up a ball, the young women who are starting to play sport at any capacity, because we've seen that those who play sports the life skills that they learn are transferable to anything in society. And that's our next leaders of society, right? So continuing to learn all of those important skills, leadership, communication. And then one day, you know, hopefully these young women have a paycheck. That means they don't got to do anything else, just like the men do. Yeah, exactly. Um, Okay. I also wanted to ask, you know, just in light of that, you are such a leader and a strong role model. It, It really comes across as, you know, something that you don't take lightly. And I think just watching you and also seeing like all of the sort of endeavors that you do both on and off the court, you really do lead by example and really champion, you know, women, not even to excel at an elite level, but, you know, just to participate and know that there's that pathway open to them. What do you sort of hope that your legacy is? I know that's a really sort of broad and crazy question to answer, but what do you sort of want to inspire in young women sort of on and off the court? Yeah, it is a big question, but uh, I would say for me, you know, I, I want to be one of the really, really good players that ever played basketball. And, you know, I think that's what every athlete's goal is to be and and to do and to win championships and you know add up you know a number of different successes within the sport because that's what we sacrifice for right we come into every season and tell ourselves we're going to win a championship this year and that's the goal of all 144 women in the WNBA so it's a tough goal to achieve but I do think you know outside of the court and the accolades and everything that you know comes along with being an athlete I think for me personally I've been afforded such an incredible life, young life at 26, but 
from growing up with my parents, growing up with my family. You know, I didn't choose them, but I am beyond grateful and beyond blessed that I was able to grow up with such incredible role models. And I think that's important for every young woman and every young man to have the opportunity to do. That's why I take being a role model very seriously, because I want to make sure that there is a, a pathway and that there is an opportunity. And I think with social media nowadays, the access we have to our favorite athletes is so much different than what they used to be. And so trying to allow that access to be as genuine as possible to make sure that every young athlete and every young child knows that there is an opportunity within sport to do a number of different things. Basketball has opened up doors all over the world for me to do and meet incredible people and to be in such incredible circles. And so I hope that with what I was able to do from, you know, living in Canada, staying in Canada all the way through uh, my high school years, going to the States, playing in the WNBA, playing on the Olympic stage, that there's an opportunity to inspire even just one person to chase their dreams, to, you know, to fight over challenges, to find a way that to be themselves as genuinely and as loudly as they want to be, because their life can be better. And so I hope that my journey does inspire one person. And if that's the case, maybe they want to inspire one person themselves. And then that chain kind of just goes down and down. My job is to leave it the sport a little bit better than how I inherited it. So that's what I hope my legacy does. And obviously all of us in Australia are very much looking forward to your return down under for the FIBA Women's World Cup. Um, what are you most looking forward to in terms of, you know, playing with Team Canada and just, I mean, like, what is the atmosphere of a World Cup mean for you as well? Yeah, I'm so excited about playing in a World Cup. I honestly, it's, it's one of the best tournaments when you think about the sport of basketball. The Olympics is incredible, but if you look at really the, the top of the top, this is where all the best in the world come together for one tournament of basketball. And it's just basketball, right? So it's the only focus. And that's, you know, why it's such a prestigious tournament to be a part of. And I'm really, really grateful to uh, have the opportunity to play again with Team Canada. And I'm looking forward to coming back and seeing my teammates again. Being back on the court, it'll be pretty close ish to my return um, here in the WNBA that I'll then, you know, be returning to the court with Team Canada. So any opportunity that I get to play now, I, I cannot take it for granted. And I don't take it for granted, just not having the opportunity to play over the last eight months on a court. And so looking forward to that, but also really looking forward to coming back to Australia and seeing some of my old teammates. Some of them will be playing with the Opals, so we'll be not friends on the court, but off the court will be great friends. <laughs> and I know some of them will come down and watch and cheer as well. And I have no doubt, because it is a close drive, that I will run into a number of different Canberra fans. So that makes me happy as well. But just really excited to be back in, in Australia. We, My boyfriend and I talk about it all the time. When we were there, he was like, look, if, we, if it was closer to where Canada is, we would live there without a doubt. It's a little far. But it's closer to the family, 100%. You're looking at, what, like a 20-plus hour flight or something? Yeah, I might miss a couple birthdays. (laughs) When you are doing something like a World Cup where you are sort of leaving home and everything and having to travel, I mean, are there like any – is there anything that you can't travel without? You know, I think everybody's obvious answer would be their phone because like everyone FaceTimes and – that's how we communicate nowadays. But I won't be obvious and I will go with probably my Kindle. I like books. Like I really like like murder mysteries are like my kind of go-to and a little bit of fantasy. So some of the books that I was reading last year were like the big chunker books. 
and they kept getting ruined in my bag. So I bought a Kindle and now it's like my best friend. Is it like a similar experience? See, I'm someone who loves to read as well. And I just, the thought of seeing something on the screen, I don't know, like it doesn't make sense to me. No, but this one, it looks like a piece of paper, the Kindles. I couldn't do, I had my iPad. I couldn't read on my iPad because the screen was too bright. So it was bothering my eyes. But the Kindle, is, it looks identical to a paperback book. Is there a book that you've read recently that you'd recommend to the women's health? Verity by Colleen Hoover. If you, if you like thrillers, if you like, like murder mystery thrillers, oh my goodness, it needs a sequel. Ugly Love was okay too. She, like I'm really, at this point, I'm just reading Colleen Hoover books through her entire series. I've, my favorite author is Ruth Ware, so I will read anything by Ruth Ware. Are these all sort of um, like in that thriller genre? Is it thriller or like a murder mystery vibe? Murder mystery. Like Verity is a thriller for sure. I've made four of my teammates here read it. I'm going to just start commenting on all her pictures. Like, please create a sequel. I need to know if I was right or wrong. (laughs) Oh my God, that's hilarious. Kia, thank you so much for your time today. Honestly, I had such a great chat with you. No worries. Have a good one. This episode of Uninterrupted was hosted by Jess Campbell and produced by me, Lisa Gabilagan, with additional sound editing by Abby Williams. For more from us, pick up a copy of our latest issue with Ezzy Magbegor on the cover. Find it on newsstands or online via Apple News Plus. Visit us on womenshealth.com.au and find us on Instagram at womenshealthaus. Thank you and see you next time.